Our loving Father, um, the subject that we are discussing is holy ground. And the information that we are covering are very, is very sacred to you. It is talking about your plan of salvation. It's talking about how you're going to take us from this sinful, dark world and take us to heaven. I just pray, Father, that you will open our hearts, that anything that's said and done here will have been to your honor and glory. And we will have a closer walk with you because of it. I pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Okay, the subject that we're going to talk about at this point is a very, very um, controversial subject. Okay? This subject that we're going to deal with today uh, is, is so important to you that it could, it could represent whether you are in the kingdom or not in the kingdom. Now, if you notice in the last couple of um, seminars that we went through already, we talked about the path back to God's throne. You and I need to be on a path that's making ourselves correct. For instance, you're dirty and you need cleaned up. The way to clean you up is to filter you through the sanctuary system. Go ahead and come on in, everybody. You can come on in. You need to be filtered through the sanctuary. I like to liken it unto this. If you had mud, water mixed together, you want pure water to drink, right? So you filter it, right? You keep filtering it. And yes, you want to drink it, so you keep filtering it. You filter it until, the, until you get to the point where it can be drunk. That's what this part is about. You are dirty with sin. And you need to be filtered. And the sanctuary is the filter system. Okay? That's the filter system. Now, I remember I told you that Lucifer used to sit beside the Father. He used to have the place in the most holy place. In fact, let me go ahead and bring that picture up now. There we go. He's in the most holy place. Now, Lucifer used to be right there. Now, remember, that's the condition that you want to end up in. You want to end up right here, okay? You can't get there unless you get cleaned up. Now... You don't live before 1844. You don't live before then. You live after 1844. You live in the time the Day of Atonement is actually taking place right now. That's where you live. You see, God knew from the beginning who would be alive in this day. And so He's, he's chosen His vessels to be ready for this day. You see, God does not take any pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He doesn't. So He wants everybody. So He has a chosen race, a chosen generation, and a generation which is going to finish that last stand for God. The last stand. What is it that God rephrase this. What is it that you would not do for God? That's the question you need to ask. You see, 
Jesus died for you, right? Right? Did Jesus die for you? Why don't you live for him? You see, it's simple. And the only way you know how is he's showing you how, because you don't know. You see, Jesus came and he died in a time where the world was really wicked, right? But he's also got a chosen generation that's living in the worst conditions of the world. And we make all kinds of excuses to keep hanging on to sin. So this is why this truth is so important for today. In fact, this truth is what we call, and what Ellen White calls, present truth. Present truth is what you need when you, it's for right now, it's present truth, right? Amen. Now, I want to, I've got, you've got to understand this. We, we will never be in the kingdom if we don't do what God has called us to do. You are called to be the chosen generation. You ever heard of the army of youth? Do you not know the army of youth needs to be what? They need to be rightly trained, right? So apparently there's some things that maybe you don't know yet, right? You need to be trained. Now, I'm going to tell you, give you an illustration. Remember, remember um, Daniel, no, sorry, David. David, King, King David, he wanted to be the one who built the sanctuary for God, right? Now think this through. He wants to build a sanctuary for God. Now, David was a man after God's own heart, we told, right? The apple of his eye. So we have David, was, I mean, David was also a man of war. But yet, God looked at David. For the day David lived, David was doing what God asked him to do, right? We don't run around killing people today, do we? Do we? But yet, David did that and was still considered right with God. You see, but we're in the last day. We're at the very last part of time. This is the time that we are living in. So here's the thing. David wanted to build the temple. Nathan the prophet says, you can't build it. Because you're a man of war. Then David throws a fit, does he not? What does he do? He doesn't throw a fit. He gets the plans from God. He gathers the material. Now, I'm going to explain something to you guys. Have you ever heard of the 144,000? Do you know who they are? I hope they're going to be you. Because the 144,000 are those who live just before Christ comes. They're the ones that take Satan and lead him out. They won't sin anymore. They're the ones that give it all up. They're the one that gets, gets the, the, the throne of the heart empty of self. So therefore, there's something you need to guard. Now, you need to guard your heart. David, you're a man of war. You can't build me the temple. You see, there's one temple that was not built. Do you know which one it was? No, the one in heaven's there. Ezekiel's temple. God describes Ezekiel's temple being built. I look at that being the 144,000. You see? You and I are called to build the temple where the Holy Spirit will dwell, right? Now, that group that receives the Holy Spirit, that group 
is the one that's going to finish the work. So you can imagine, God has a plan. At the very end, in the worst conditions of world history, His people are going to stand and put aside all evil things out of their reach. David wanted to build it, but he was a man of war. Let me tell you something. You could easily end up being in David's shoes. God wouldn't let you be 144,000 because you have done too many things in the past. That's why your mind needs to be clear while you're young. Some of you probably have already done some things in your life that you want to clear up. I'll share this with you. I believe that I, even at my age, can still be a part of 144,000, and I'm praying for that. Not that I'm anxious to go through anything necessarily, but I want to stand for God. I want to stand for Him. Young people, are you filling your mind up with things that you shouldn't be? You see, you've you got to understand this. God has called you to stand in the last day. He's called you to live a life pure. He's called you to put aside all the worldly things. Don't make excuses for the worldly things anymore, guys. You see, I don't know how he's going to do it. But I know someday he's going to make me just like him. You see? Now, I threw that in for free. Now we'll get to the message. I cannot help but encourage young people. Stop it. Just stop it. Give your heart to God. Don't play around. Don't play around with it. It's, it's serious business. Read this statement here, and it's called Early Writings. Now, Early Writings, I would recommend this book to anybody. Early Writings is a very good book for the end-time people. I saw the necessity of messengers especially watching and checking all fanaticism wherever they might see it rise. So he needs messengers to stand firm and to watch for the fanaticism. They don't let it in. Okay? He needs them. Okay? Satan is pressing in on every side. Isn't that not true? He's pressing on every side, and unless we watch for him and have our eyes open to his devices and snares and have on the whole armor of God. Now... Does that, that should all ring bells. What's, how do you have the whole armor of God on? Where do you get it? That's the Word of God. You need to have on the whole armor of God. And so this group of people need to have on the whole armor of God because Satan is trying to get on on every side. They need to watch for the fanaticism. Now it goes on to say here, or the fiery darts of the wicked will hit us. In other words, we will fall. There are many precious truths contained in the Word of God. But it is precious truth that the flock needs now. Okay? It is present truth that the flock needs now. I have seen the dangers of messengers, messengers going off from the important points of present truth to dwell upon subjects that are not calculated to unite the flock and sanctify the soul. Got that so far? She's saying, it is important for us to have present truth now. Okay? But there are some that are going on to messages that aren't calculated to unite the soul, right? Remember? We need to have the upper room experience, right? 
In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is this. There will be some day, we will be in a group just like this setting right here. We will be a one accord, and something's going to happen. It will happen, guys. You will see it happen, unless for some reason, we don't take the challenge God has given us in this generation. And he has to tarry a little longer. But that genera this generation should see the uniting of a group and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's going to happen just before the work is finished. Now, but there are those who are not dealing with those messages. Okay? Satan will have, will here take every possible advantage to injure the cause. Because you're not dealing with present truth. He's going to take those advantages to slow down the work of God. To let it not happen. Listen to the next sentence. But such subjects as the sanctuary, in connection with the 2300 days, the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus, are perfectly calculated to explain the past Advent movement and show what our present position is, establish the faith of the doubting, and give certainty to the glorious futures, these I have seen, frequently seen, were principal subjects on which the messengers should dwell. Amen. Present truth, guys. This is early writing 63. The sanctuary is designed to help you finish the work. You see, right now, as you're sitting right now, right here, right now, I guarantee you there's a God. Okay? There, you cannot tell me there's not a God. And I know exactly what he's doing. He's sitting here between angels. And you have Jesus standing right there, putting blood upon the mercy seat seven times, just like they did on the earthly sanctuary. When that blood was placed there upon the mercy seat seven times, that was, that, that's the blood of Jesus. In other words, understand this. Up to the cross, we were dealing with, with him being killed and put on the cross. That's dealing with his footprints upon the courtyard, upon earth. But when Jesus dies, he goes to heaven to sit beside the Father. We talked about that in the last session. There upon the, the, um, the table of showbread. But then you move from there into the most holy place and you find the, the high priest is putting the blood up on the mercy seat seven times. Had you noticed, though, when you go back and look where the blood was shed and you'll examine the, that what Jesus was going through, you'll notice that they took, and they, they took a whip, right? Now, this is what they did to Jesus, the one who created them, okay? And he was dying so that they could have everlasting life, Okay? They took a whip and they took it and they interwove it with bones and glass and they would take, they took that whip and they ripped out big chunks of his flesh and he bled. Right? There's one time up on the mercy seat. Then they didn't just do that. They made fun of him, right? Oh, you're the king, huh? Oh yeah, we'll show you. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And again, his body bleeds, right? There's twice his blood was shed upon the mercy seat. Then, remember Jesus, he'd walk into cities and villages 
And he, was, he would heal everybody. In the, everybody. He would heal them. Those hands were always doing good, right? Then they took those hands and they stretched them out. And they pierced his hands and nailed them to a piece of wood. There's now two more wounds where he has. There's three and four times upon the mercy seat. You see? Then they took another nail and put his legs together, right? And he pierced his feet. Now his body has got two more wounds in it, does it not? There's now five and six, right, upon the mercy seat. But the Bible goes on to say that there's seven times upon the mercy seat. What would be that seventh wound that Christ carries in his body today? The spear in the sight of Christ. But did you notice what happened? What flew out of that? What came out of that, that hole in his body? Okay, blood and water, okay? Now, why did they pierce his side? So in other words, he was not supposed to be dead, was he? They said, there's no way. He can't die already. Crucifixion took place there all the time. That's how they got rid of people. As an example. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is, the Romans did not kill Christ. You did. So did I. As he sat on that cross, from the Garden of Gethsemane all the way to the cross, that weight of sin, the man who never sinned, he that knew no sin became sin. Remember I told you the two goats? You have Satan, you have Christ. You could not tell the difference between the goats. They had to cast lots. You couldn't tell the difference between Satan and Christ. That's how bad sin was. That's what killed him. Seven times the blood is placed upon the mercy seat. Seven times Jesus' body has got piercings for you and I. So here we are today. Here we are today. In the very end of time. And we were told the subject of the sanctuary in connection with what? The 2300 days and the Ten Commandments and where are the Ten Commandments at? Right here. And the faith of Jesus. Now, I'm going to go back to the statement that I read at the beginning. I'm going to try to bring it all together here for you now. The subject of the sanctuary and the investigated judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. All need a knowledge for themselves and the position and work of their great high priest. Otherwise, it will be what? You remember this? Impossible for them to exercise the what? The faith. You see? We need to have the faith of Jesus. And then I read the other statement where Satan is trying to destroy our faith. You see? Do you believe God is, and Jesus are doing that work right now? Do you believe it? Then you should not rest until you are right with God. Yes? What is Jesus doing? He's standing here interceding for you and I. The Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit? Yeah, let me, that's a good question. The Holy Spirit? Let, let's just see how this all fits together. 
You have the Holy Spirit who's on this earth. Remember when Jesus goes to the Father? He says, I'm going to send you who? The Comforter, the, Comforter, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been here to lead and guide us in all truths. Okay? So you have the Holy Spirit praying for you and I. Did you know that? He prays, like you said, and groans and utterances. We don't even know how to pray. So you have the Holy Spirit praying, right? Then who do you have up there placing their blood upon the mercy seat for those prayers? Jesus, okay. It's his blood, right? It's his blood is the reason why we can be forgiven of our sins, right? And so the blood is being placed there. And who's, the, who's there seeing the blood placed there? Now, let me ask you this question. Do you not see now how you can be saved? You've got all three working in your behalf. All three are working in your behalf. Now, on the Day of Atonement, we need to talk about the Day of Atonement because this is what they were in. In fact, there are seven feast days that you find in the Scriptures. Those seven feast days that you find are calculated exactly as well to let you see where we are in time. The sanctuary calculates just so we can see where we are in time, and so does the sanctuary, and so does the feast days. In fact, you will find the feast days, the very first one of the feast days, there was actually four that were in the early part of the year, and three in the later part of the year, right? One spring and one fall. Now, the four that, were, that came first, they were, they were really closely connected to each other, very, and time-wise. You have the first one called the Passover, okay? Now, the Passover began... It's crucifixion. Thank you. And the pass, the, we have the Passover met its fulfillment in Christ's crucifixion. In fact, the, if you look at the Exodus, I'm sorry, Leviticus, where it describes these particular um, um, feast days, you will find that, the, that they are given the exact days they were. Before, before the um, lamb was killed, it was, it was selected and brought into your home four days prior to it was killed. Okay? And then uh, that was the 10th day. Then on the 14th day, they killed the lamb, right? Then on the 15th day, they started another feast. So you have the 14th, and now you have the 15th. That was called the Feast of, of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread went for seven days, okay? The first day um, was to be a ceremonial Sabbath, okay? Then the next day, which is the 15th, the next day, in that Feast of Unleavened Bread was another feast. It was another, another one. You know what it was? First fruits. That's where they waved the offering in front of the, the ark of the, I mean the, the, the veil there. They waved it there, thanking God in advance for the harvest they're going to have that was going to be 50 or seven weeks later or 50 days later, okay? Which is called the Pentecost, okay? So now, these four feasts, these four feasts have already met their fulfillment. You have Jesus as the Passover. A few days before Jesus is to be killed, you've seen Caiaphas talking to his priest, and he says, it's better for one man to die than the whole nation to perish, right? That's a prophecy. Do you know, I want you, to, I want you guys to see something here. In case some of you are in a doubtful mind on some things that it, in the scriptures, I want to give you some hope. You see, Lucifer knew through these prophecies what would take place to Christ. During that day, when Jesus was being crucified, Caiaphas, you would not say he was working for Christ, but who? Satan, right? So here's one of Satan's own men. 
Satan couldn't even keep him from prophesying. You see? Even though they knew that just a few days before he was going to be killed, that the lamb was selected. Caiaphas is the one who says it. It's better for him to die than the whole nation to perish. Then, Jesus was said, then it says that Jesus walked no more openly among the Jews. You see, the lamb was brought into the home. Then Jesus was taken and crucified at the time that the lamb was to be slain. You see what I'm talking about? Satan couldn't stop that either. You see what I'm getting at? Then the next day, Jesus lays in the tomb, right? That starts the week of the whole week-long Feast of Tabernacles. The first day was the Sabbath, right? That was a high Sabbath because that year, that Sabbath landed upon the weekly Sabbath. Okay? So here you have Jesus laying in the tomb, resting on the Sabbath. Then the next day is called the wave offering. Jesus is, comes out of his grave on Sunday, right? So as he comes out of the grave, somebody, some come to the, the grave and they run back and forth and, they, and Mary comes out there, right? And during the time that Mary's there, Mary's looking for Jesus, sees Jesus. She doesn't know it's Jesus, though. She sees Jesus and she thinks he's the, the um, person they're caretaking. And she goes, where did they take Jesus? And Jesus speaks. And she realizes Jesus, right? And so Jesus and there Mary is, right? She's excited. Remember, he was dead. She loved him. This was, a, this was huge for her. So she immediately runs. And what does Jesus say? Don't hold me back. I have not yet ascended to my father. See, the wave offering hadn't taken place yet. So he goes up to heaven and he stands before God while the priests are down on this earthly sanctuary standing there with the wave offering. Now, the wave offering was designed to thank them for their harvest, right? So here you have the Passover, everybody coming to the temple. So on their way to the temple, they went out to their fields and they gathered the grain that was about ready to be harvested, the first fruits of, the, of their fields. They couldn't eat it yet until they presented it to the Father, through the, uh, to the priest, so they can present it in the sanctuary. And they would wave it there, thanking him in advance, because the next thing that they're going to do, they're going to go back home, and for seven weeks, they're going to work the fields. Then at the end of that seven weeks, they're going to come back again, and they're going to bring a whole bunch of grain, thanking them now for what harvest they did have. Okay? So this was a thank offering before they got it. Okay? So he's waving it there, thanking them in advance. When Jesus goes to heaven, presents himself to the Father, as the first fruits of the dead. Did you know that he's the only one that has died? You see? He's the only one that really has died. See, everybody else is going to come back to life at one point or another in time before this is all said and done. Jesus stands before God, thanking him and expecting a bountiful harvest later. And by the way, that bountiful harvest. It's going to be you and I, okay? So that's, that's, so that's, those have met their fulfillment, including the Passover, right? Passover has met the fulfillment. Remember they, um, the Passover was at the end of um, 50 days, and during that 50 days, um, the, they, um, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the people. All of those, those are the, the, spring, the spring feast. Now you have three in the fall. The first one, of course, is the trumpets, Feast of Trumpets. Now, this is how the trumpets work. You see, 10 days before the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement is a very serious day. 
You have to have all your sins. Now, pay attention to this because this is something you and I need to understand. All their sins be transferred into the sanctuary because the day of the atonement is when all the sins are going to be forgiven. Okay? So now you want your sin in there so they can be forgiven. So they, they blow the trumpets. So they blow the trumpets. And, oh, that's right. They start to gather around. They get with their friends and their family. They start making things right. And they're going to make sure all the sins are there. And on the Day of Atonement, they stand there on the outside. So the trumpets was to warn them the Day of Atonement was coming, right? Ten days prior to that. Now, you'll find that just before the Day of Atonement in 1844, that there was a group of people that ran around the world doing similar things. The trumpets were blowing for ten years from 1833 to 1843, which is also moved into 44, you will find that the message of Christ moving from the holy and most holy place they thought was going to be the, cleansing, the second coming, right? So 10 days prior to the Day of Atonement beginning in heaven, the 10 years prior to that, the trumpets blew. Okay? The next thing you find is the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is the day in which you and I are living in today. They knew when the Day of Atonement began... But they, didn't, they don't know, and they did not know when it was over. So you and I will not know either when the Day of Atonement is over. Except there is one indication we will, because it's this way. After the censer is put down, and the blood is placed upon the mercy seat, and he's finished, he makes the statement, those that are righteous, be righteous still. Let me just kind of give you an, idea, an example of what I'm talking about. You have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You want to be saved. You don't want to die for your sin. You accept Jesus as your sacrifice. You've, you've made your way in there and there's, there is your, um, Jesus placing the blood upon the mercy seat for the sins that you're asking there in the book of life. And that's where your sins are recorded. You're asking to be forgiven for those sins. Okay? Now, on this day, on this day, God looks at this, the sins that you're asking to be forgiveness for. Remember, the Day of Atonement has nothing to do with the wicked, okay? These are those who are asking, you know what? I don't want to die in this world. I want to be in heaven. These are those who are saying, I want to be forgiven. Now the question is, Jesus' death, was it enough for all those sins that everybody has done? Okay? That's the question. So here you have, uh -huh, here you have, the books are open, right? The sins are being recorded, that have been recorded are now being looked at. God looks at the sin that is placed there upon the mercy seat. And he looks at, I mean, they're, they're in the books. And he looks at you and I, and he no longer sees you. Who do, who do you think he sees? He sees Christ, right? So here we have in the example. The example of what's going to take place in the very end. God is going to look at you and I, and how he's going to do it, I don't know. But he, let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to take your sin, and he's going to bury it in the depths of the sea. He's going to take your sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, those are the Bible analogies of what they're doing with sin. If you're going east, how far do you need to go east before you're actually going west? As long as you're going east, you're never going to go west. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is that far enough for your sin to be taken from you? That's what God is going to do. All right, he's going to bury him in the depths of the sea, right? What does John say in Revelation? Well, there's going to be no more sea. That's right. So what I'm trying to say is, a good swimmer's in heaven will not swim down to the bottom of the sea and grab your sins and taunt you with it anymore. What I'm trying to get at is this. 
What's taking place in the heavenly sanctuary is that the sins are blotted out, taken completely away from you and I. The problem is, this is a very controversial <coughs> subject because that means you will live someday without a mediator. You see? But you know, that's not the end of the story when there's no mediator. Did you know that? There's more to take place on this earth. And the sanctuary tells you about it. Because after, when he sits there, he says, those that are righteous, let them be righteous still, right? That means you won't sin again. When he, come on guys, when he created us, right? When he created this world, he said to the, he said to the animals to be fruitful and multiply, right? Are they still doing it? Is man being fruitful and multiplying? Is it still doing it? That's right. And when we bless those things, they're still blessed today, right? All right. What I'm trying to say is this. When he speaks something, it will take place. Okay? So remember that. So when he says this, it will happen. Okay? So now the, the work isn't finished yet. So you see, he hasn't come yet when he says this. The censor's gone. He's, the revelation refers to it this way. The censor's cast to the earth. Okay? He moves from here and he goes to the holy place. All right, that's what the priest did on the earth, too. When he finished the work, he went to the holy place. And that's where he put the blood upon the horns and he starts cleaning up the, the sanctuary, right? So that, that took place on the Day of Atonement. But the, but the Revelation describes it this way, that inside of that room are four, um, seven angels along with four beasts, okay? These four beasts, they give to the angels one of the vials that we talked about. And they fly out of the temple of heaven and pour the vial upon the earth. He hasn't come yet. And you're alive. And the vials are being poured upon this earth. You know the work is finished in the heavenly sanctuary. That's when you know. Okay? Now comes the time of trouble called Jacob's time of trouble. You have no mediator to go to anymore. You see? What are you going to do? Your mind is focused on trusting, hanging on to Christ having faith that he will do this. I'm going to tell you another illustration. This illustration is found in also in early writings. Early, um, Ellen White has this vision, and she's visioning the walk on that pathway. Okay? They're in their wagons. They have their possessions in the wagons. And they have this big cliff on this one side, and on this other side they have this big white rock. Okay? It's on this side here. And they're on this pathway, and the path is big enough, and they're riding along. But the path, little by little, gets narrower and narrower. And so as it gets narrower, they start to talk among themselves and say, Wait a second. We're this, the wagons are going to... The, 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 the rock is pushing the wagons off the cliff. As we get closer, it starts... So they decided they'd leave the wagons, right? So they, they, they gathered some stuff out of the wagons so they could still have their, some of their possessions, Right? And they took the horses and unleashed them, and they put them on the horse. So now they're going along that pathway, and they're still marching along, and they're going up this path, and it gets narrower still. And as it gets narrower, they start to think, wait a second, the horse is starting to get to the point where he's starting to sway where he might fall off the cliff. So they take the horses, and they let them loose. And then they, well, they cut the things they have on the horse so they fall down to the, the cavern below. And they eventually give it to the horses, and as they're marching along, they're walking. The path is still getting narrower. And so they say, you know, we better take our shoes off. Because even our shoes might make us where we would fall on this narrow ledge. And so they take their shoes off. 
Then it wasn't long they said, you know what, we need to get rid of our socks as well. And they take the socks off. And there was this cord that they noticed that was hanging down. And they started to use that cord to kind of hold them up as they were walking along that ledge. And at times the ledge seems to disappear, but they'd have a little bit to grab onto. They keep walking and pretty soon they came to the point where she says she saw her husband, James White. He was standing there right there at the point where the ledge just disappears. And she could see a little further this green grassy area. But between there and the grassy area, there was nothing. There was nothing for them to hang on to at all except for that cord that was hanging down beside the rock. By this time, the cord was bigger than ever. The cord grew as, as they got closer down this path. And now it's the size of a body. And James White sitting there. And he's sweating, he's perspiring. She said the veins, she could see the veins in his neck seemed to be double in size as he was agonizing over what was taking place. He's seen the green grass and he had this cord and they were wondering, who's holding the cord? And then the message comes out, it's God who holds that cord. And so the rest of the journey he did with the cord without his feet Nothing along the line of any walking he could ever do. Ellen White says this. He swung over to that green pasture, and he was there, okay, on that green cord. That, my friends, illustrates your walk right now. The problem is this, Ellen White says. At every step of the way, where they left things, people stayed. Where are you at today? Do you still have the wagon? Have you let the wagon go? Are you still on the horse? Have you taken off your shoes and socks yet? Are you hanging onto the cord? But I'm telling you something. If you're not practicing now the faith that it takes to go through today, do you hear what I just said? You know, we're not in that point where our life is threatened, right? We still have time. The sensor's not placed down. Are you practicing now? When God has told you to do something, are you practicing now to hang on? That, my friends, is the message of the most holy place. Get rid of everything that separates you from God, and pretty soon all you have is God himself. That's all. And that's where you have to be before Christ comes. That's 144,000 that will be able to stand without a mediator. And brothers and sisters, that's what you're called to do. Otherwise, you could have been born three, 400 years ago. But no, you're born today. God knew when you were going to be born. God's planned for you to be a part of finishing the work for Him. So the present truth present truth is perfectly calculated to unite the flock is what you're teaching is it in harmony with those things that are perfect that are considered present truth is your teaching in harmony with the sanctuary the 2300 days the faith of Jesus and the Ten Commandments that's present truth there's where you should and I should be focusing our time on but you've got to know it yourself. You see, the statements I read before, 
you and I need to understand it for ourselves. How can we give a reason for what we believe if we don't understand it ourselves? She indicates that we should not rest until we understand it for ourselves. So I hope that what you guys do is this. Now, I don't know which schools are represented here, but I understand Oakwood's here, and I understand that Southwestern's here. So I don't know if there's any other schools or not, but I'm going to tell you this. If there was ever a time for groups to get together and study, it's now. Now, you could do this. You can find yourself on Saturday night running to the pizza parlor, running to bowling and golfing and all this kind of stuff, or you can find yourself understanding the statements. She says, Not, we shouldn't waste any precious hour. Now, this is a tall order, I know, but this is how it's going to have to happen. Groups should be getting together and studying the sanctuary so they can understand it. So if, you're, if there's not one going on at your school, be the one that starts it. You may not understand it yourself. I guarantee you, you will if you study. You know why I know that? Because just like I told you, the ministry that I'm dealing with is the, is the sanctuary. And I can tell you honestly, right now, that there's, the sanctuary is existing today not because of me. Okay? I didn't do it. It's been all given to me. God keeps giving me more. And I believe this message has to go out to the world. And I believe that there will be groups of people bringing this message around. In fact, I believe there will be seven of these sanctuaries running around the world within a couple years. You know why I believe that? Because when I was talking to my wife that we needed another trailer if we had a second sanctuary, because I wanted the second sanctuary because I kept having to work on it and there was a lot of work to keep it up I, in the repairs in the winter months and I'd like to have two so I have them ready so that way if one of them gets messed up I can switch without having to worry about how it looks, right? And so my plan was to have another trailer but not another truck because the expense of the trucks is really expensive. And so as I went to rest that night we had been talking about it the next morning I had a phone call and on the end of the line, this man comes to me and he, he says to me this. He says that I have this trailer. I'm in the tree business, planting business, and um, it just frozen my trees. He says, I can't have this trailer anymore. I'm going to get rid of it. Do you want it? God told me then I'm on the right track. You know what? I do have two sanctuaries today. I needed it. Because what happened was this. I was going to Hawaii, and there was a place in, in uh, Grants Pass, Oregon, that wanted the sanctuary. I couldn't do both at the same time. But it fell that uh, the, the trip across to Hawaii, and then the time I was going to be in, in Oregon, I couldn't do both of them. So I told my wife, gave her the hard job, need to call one of them and tell them that we can't do theirs. In fact, we were, we were going to tell Oregon because the one that was going to Hawaii, someone came up to me when I was in Chattanooga last year. Remember last year when I was in Chattanooga? That was the biggest exhibit I've had in a short period of time ever in the sanctuary, by the way. And a man came up to me when he seen the crowds on the very first day. Remember the crowds going through the parking lot? The police shut down the parking lot because he said, you have too many people in the parking lot. He wouldn't let us use the parking lot anymore until, until the crowds got in. 
he's seen the crowd and he looked at me and he says, wow. We should, he asked me, what, what could he do to help? Well, I was getting ready to go to Hawaii and getting ready to go to, go to, go to um, um, Grants Pass. And I didn't have enough tour guides. And I asked him, I said, because I knew the man. I said, would you, you and your wife learn the tour? I could use some more tour guides. See, I didn't ask him for money, not for a very good reason. Because I made a commitment with God. When I started the sanctuary, I said this. If you want me in this ministry, I'm a businessman. I know all about the funds. I know what I had to do to pay my bills. I said, if you want me in this ministry, this is your ministry and not mine. The bills are yours. I'm not going to get up and ask for money. And this man looks at me and he says, can I help you with the trip to Hawaii? I needed to pay for the truck going to Hawaii. And he looks at me and he says, I'll pay for that for you. Right? So I already knew God was already in this. Then the time comes. My wife is fasting and praying because she did not want to call either one. And I'm sitting here saying, Carolyn, there's no way we can do both. Look at the calendar. In fact, I told her this. I said, look, after she's fasted for a couple days, I said, look, the only way we can do this is we build the second sanctuary. Well, she started eating. Because she says, that's the way we have to do it. That's what we got to do. And so for the next three months, I worked 90 hours a week. I don't know how I did that to get it ready to go to Hawaii. Now, on my way back from California when we were making this decision, the year before, we had left. And there was a storm that came through and tore up the sanctuary. I had just finished repairing it. And I was needing to repair it again. And I had a group of young people that were going to go with me in the summer. I had to cancel the first exhibit because it was, it was messed up. I couldn't go with it. But I had all these young people that were already, already given their summer to help me, right? So they're there helping me. They, they helped me re, re get, it, get it going again. So I already now have some scholarships I have to pay. We're leaving, and I have now used up all the money in the bank, all the money out of the bookstore on PayPal, and all my personal money. And I'm driving to the next exhibit. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is yours. If there's no money, I don't go. I finished that year, and I had $50,000 in the bank after I paid every bill that I owed. Right? Why do I have $50,000? Because that's the year he says to build the second sanctuary. <laughs> and so I take off and we decide we're going to build a second sanctuary. And I said, wait a minute. That means I need two of everything. I need a second, the, 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 I need a trailer that goes across the waters, not just a regular trailer. So I had to buy a container, right? But I can't just have a container. I have to have the wheels that go with them. How am I going to get it from place to place? They want, and if you rent the container, you have only a few days to use it, and then they take it away. Then they bring it back when you're ready to load it again. So I needed my own container. And so I was looking. $17,000 is what I was finding for the combination. And I said, no, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. And on the travel back, I got my card out. I'm in the semi. My wife's there and my son, and we're looking online. She finds this trailer in Houston, this container. She finds this guy that has the container in, um, I'm sorry, the container was in Dallas and the wheels were in Houston, the chassis. 
And so he wanted $5,000 for the two of them. And I said, after looking at 17, what do you think I said? <laughs> Let's get it, right? But as I was thinking on that road, I just spent $5,000 and I haven't finished the sanctuary yet. That's too fast. The money's going too fast. And I was worried. Lord, I just spent $5,000 and I don't even know if I have enough money to finish the sanctuary. And I have no more exhibits between now and then. So that what I have has to get me through the winter. I get there and we get the mail out of the mailbox. I open it up and this letter comes out of the mailbox. This guy writes a letter to me and he says, I was thinking about you. You were here two years ago. I thought you might need this. $5,000. Brothers and sisters, the sanctuary is not anything I'm doing. I work at a self-supporting school. I cannot afford to put my kids in college. The ministry has just started. I'm a businessman. I can work. I have businesses. I could go back out and work and put my kids to college. But I just started the ministry. Lord, what do I do? Do I quit the ministry and only do it a couple times a year? Or do I stay with the work you got me in? I want my kids in college. I want them in our colleges. I can't put them in there with the salary I have. I said, if you want me in this ministry, you need to take care of my kids' needs. That year at Southwestern, I had three of my students, three of my kids in college. Two of them got full scholarships for four years. God is good. I have an eight-year-old that was in that truck when we was traveling back, homeschooled, because we're gone all the time. And I said to my wife, he's not getting it. We're not making any headway with him in school. He's just not getting it. And so I said, we need to put him in school. He's eighth grade. And so we called the principal that knew about what we were doing in one of the schools. And she says, yes, we'll take him on those conditions, I mean, with the conditions you have that we, you can take him out when you leave. So he goes to school. And so the day he's leaving to school, I'm getting into the shower as the phone rings. My wife's getting ready to take him to school. And she answers the phone as I was going to the shower. You know, I do a lot of thinking in the shower. Have you guys ever experienced that? And I was thinking, Lord, I remember four years ago thinking, if I'm going to stay in the ministry, I can't afford for my kids in school. I can't pay it. Wouldn't that be just like God to have somebody on that phone say, I'll take care of your youngest son's schooling? That's what I was thinking, right? So I get out of the shower and my wife says, you never guess who called. And I said, somebody who said they're going to pay for Corey's schooling. And she says, you're right. So last year, his school was paid. And then this year, he moved into the next grade. And somebody, the same person says, we really appreciate your ministry. Can we take care of the year again for him? What I'm trying to say is this, guys. He's put me in my work. And he's going to put you in yours too. Someday, he's coming. And his coming is very soon. You cannot outgive God. So try it. Give yourself to Him. Just try it. See what He does. Think this through. When that cord is the only thing you have to hang on to and there's no more, there's no more ledge, you've gotten rid of all your possessions, right? The decree goes you can't buy or sell, right? Who are you going to depend on then? I know you guys are in school. I know you're going to college. But I want to tell you something. 
there's only one thing that I know you're going to take to school. Now, I'm a teacher, okay? So I can say this, okay? I can get away with it. There's only one thing you're taking to heaven with you. That is your character. So I don't care all the other schooling you're doing. That is to help you use your talents for God. That's what that's all about. It's not to get the bigger wagon to carry more stuff that you're going to lose anyways if you're going to go on that path. Present truth is this. Christ is in the heavenly sanctuary and He's about to come. And right now is the time that you should be studying that, that message. So I'm going to appeal to you. If you're not studying the sanctuary, find someone who is and study with them. It might mean you don't do some things you're doing right now. It's okay. It's okay. Study the sanctuary. Okay? Pay attention. We're in the end of time. And you, my friend, have been called for such a time as this. Isn't that pretty cool? Let's kneel and ask God to help us in this day. Our loving Father in heaven, I understand that this message that I have given today could have been better preached and better done if, if I knew more myself. And so, Father, I know that there's much more I need to know. And I know, Father, there are those in this room that feel there's more that they need to know as well. And I just pray, Father, that as we have discussed the importance of the sanctuary and the message of the truth, because there are those that don't understand that you are about to come. They don't realize how they need to live in the last days. And, Lord, we understand that how perfectly calculated these messages are so they can see your footsteps in the sanctuary. So I pray, Father, that you open our hearts and our minds as we leave this room, that we'll never be the same in our study with you again, that every one of us here will be that beacon, Father, that will light up the world around us, that we will stand in our lot and we will give the warning of the soon return and that we will give an, uh, everybody the opportunity to ask you to forgive them of their sins. This is the prayer, Father, that comes from my heart. And I pray that not one person in this room will, will not, not one will be left behind. In Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.